hymnal, and we're going to stand and sing 196, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, 196.
Well, in the spirit of our passage this morning, um, some of you know, I can't remember if it was John or someone who said that James had the reputation of being called camel knees because he was much in prayer all the time. You said that? I think you said that. Wasn't you? Okay. It was somebody that wore a tie. I know that. But uh, anyway, we're going to pray before we begin and pray as we uh, think through James' finale here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness that comes in brothers and sisters singing together in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in their heart to you. We, we pray as we look into your word this morning that we would continue to learn these lessons through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5, verse 13, James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. <clears throat> this is not J.C. Riles, by the way. This is not on the cover of our J.C. Riles book. But I think it's a fitting quote. We, we must wrestle earnestly in prayer like men contending with a deadly enemy for life. I think this is the, the um, tenseness or the sense that James is trying to get across in this passage. And we're going to look at a, a few things this morning. And we're going to have to kind of work hard because there's probably about 40 pages of answers to every verse or 40 pages for... If we took 40 pages, we could probably get close to the definition of each one of these verses. But let's look at these things here. All right. 
So James's heading is, when various trials or afflictions come in your life, pray. And when you are happy, sing psalms. That's, that's actually the, the Greek word there, which says sing praise, is our word for, for psalm or music that's played on a Gibson guitar. I mean, not, but, or a stringed instrument. But it, over the years, it, it came into singing melody. So firstly, we want to look at when affliction makes you unable to function in life, call for prayer from the elders. Now, this word elder is officers and not somebody owed. So you could be a Euling elder or you could be an elder elder. Some of us are at that point, elder elders. When you sin against one another, confess your sins to one another, when you pray, pray fervently and expect God to do something exceptional based on his promises. When a brother or sister strays from the truth, convert them using the word in fervent prayer. So let's look at the first. When affliction makes you unable to function in life, call for prayer from the elders. When affliction makes you unable to function in life, Call for prayer from the elders. Why? Well, one reason you call is uh, in James' day, you didn't get a text message or an email like the elders do here. So there was a, a need. Plus, if you've been an elder for a long time, sometimes people are sick. And I don't know if they misunderstand some of the gifts of an elder, like being able to sense in your mind through mind waves that you're sick. I, I don't think there's an elder in this room that can read people's mind, especially like if someone's in Villarica and you live in Mableton, you really don't know if someone's sick unless they call you. So that is an important part. We got to know if there is sin that is causing the affliction, the elders need to counsel the person toward reconciliation toward God and anyone they have offended. So you need to confess sins to God. If you've offended somebody, you need to confess those sins. And Romans 15, 14, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct, or as New American Standard says, admonish, or some translations will say confront one another. So there is a, a sense that you need to be able to admonish someone in this situation. What is it not? Elders are not coming to the deathbed of someone to administer extreme unction. What James is talking about here is something practical. It's not a sacrament. Uh, and the prayers may result in the person going home to glory. We see that... Um, 
in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick or heal the one that is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Interesting, this word raised is used of the resurrection. So there is, there is that um, iffy thing. If you listen to our prayers when we have a saint that we think that's going to go home soon, uh, we may be praying for him or her that the Lord would give them peace or we pray that the Lord would heal them. Uh, it, could, it could go either way, I think. Um, we, we also know that this prayer is not magical. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us, <clears throat> Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, when we see the church putting forth deacons, the apostles say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We no longer have apostles in this day and age, but we do have elders in that uh, duty of prayer and ministry of the word has fallen upon your elders. And then in Proverbs 28, 13, we read, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So here is one case. This is the case of someone who is sin sick and it has caused them to be physically ill can come from either bickering with people in the church or wife or husband. It can also be if someone has bitterness that that can result in physical illness. So does that mean that every sin makes you sick? Do you think that? No, we don't, we don't believe that at all. You may be just sick or injured. I think Jesus explains it clearly. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Uh, there, you know, we could probably just make a list of the many times that we've prayed for sick people and how God has been glorified through that sickness. But there is also this bad side. If it's sin, people are weighted down with guilt and shame. So when somebody calls you, said, you know, I can't get out of bed, you know, just think, think of David and his sin and the things that he writes in the Psalms about how many times that, that he couldn't sleep he couldn't eat, and he thought everybody was coming after him, and for the most part, they were. But this is, this is a very tense situation to deal with. 
And then that kind of dovetails in as the elders advise somebody that has sinned against someone. When you sin against one another, confess your sins to one another. I Somewhere back in the regions, uh, regions of my mind, I know of a church or went to a church that when they would have their confession of sin like we do, there would be a pause and you would hear people yelling gossip, beat my wife, <laughs> stole from my company. I mean, they would, they would do that. And I'm like, where am I and how can, where is the door? <laughs> that is not what we do when we call the people to a time of confession of sin. I, I think it's important for us to realize you may have had a bad morning, may have had a good morning, but it's important for us to confess our sins. Or maybe you've gone a whole week and instead of confessing your sins daily, you said, oh, there's Sunday. I need to confess my sin to God about this. Or maybe the things I've thought and said in the last five minutes. Anyway. Matthew 18.15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't go to your best friend and tell him this brother's fault. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So that's a good one. That's a good one. Matthew 5.23 so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This was serious to Jesus. Relationships are serious. This is probably the only time that you'll read in Scripture that, whoa, I need to stop worship and take care of this before I worship more. It's, it's a big flashing red light telling you, this is not good to worship with sin toward my brother in my heart. And then Galatians 6, 1, 6, 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, and then you need to keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And then we had these two women that Paul says, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Apparently they had been working with the gospel. Paul is not happy that because of their relationships, the gospel is being thwarted. I mean, you, I think all of us know or have heard of, of situations in churches where somehow the gospel is put on pause because people are just the Hatfields and McCoys. They are just fighting against one another. It's awful. It is really awful. And uh, you will hear people say, oh yeah, but we're going to continue, we're going to continue. And it, it seems like it just keeps getting worse and worse. 
So these are some pretty bad things, but important things to take care of in our relationships. So I hope you see, here's, here's the thing. There's, there's the idea, firstly, a point of people that are sin sick or in their, um, or have sickness that's from maybe a, an injury, you slipped and fell on a banana or something like that. You see those going, the elders come and pray for that person. I think it's, I think it's the location is call. You're being called to come to where they are, whether that's a hospital or their house. I think that that is what needs to be done. Plus, um, the elders should be able to have a conversation with the person if, if they can. Some, sometimes when you go to hospitals or visit somebody in hospice, you can't understand a word they say, you know. And you just have to have to pray. So then James calls us, when you pray, pray fervently and expect God to do something exceptional based on his promises. If you can see that first Kings eighteen one passage. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. I think fervent prayer involves, or it can take, many years. I mean, we, we want to be able to click the mouse button and when, oh, we told that person that they're sinning, that they need to stop. And that was Tuesday, and by Wednesday, they haven't stopped. It, it may take years. And for those of us who've had covenant children who wander off, it, it may take until our last breath for them to return. And then fervent prayer is based on God's covenant promises. Fervent prayer produces growth. It changes you. Doesn't prayer change you? We don't change God. We, we are changed by praying because as we more and more look intently into God's Word to pray, and those of us who've had wayward spouses or wayward children we know every week when we pray for them if we look into the word it changes our attitude and it moves us to where God wants us to be and leads us to completeness James 1 4 says And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
So there is, there is a need that James sees. All of us see that we need to grow. I'm five months short of being 70. I think the Lord still wants me to grow until I take my last breath on this earth. And you don't get to put the pause button when you start getting Medicare. <laughs> right? Say, so, oh, I've, I've done my time. I don't have to, I don't have to grow anymore. I'm, I'm content right where I am. Well, that's, that's false because so many times when people get that attitude in their mind, they end up going backwards. You always go backwards in Christ's church and in your spiritual life when you think you've arrived or you're happy where you are. Don't, don't be happy where you are. Don't be happy. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, 6 through 13. I think this is a, a good, good start in learning how to pray God's will. Matthew 6, 6 through 13. Or beginning in five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, they've gotten their best life ever here on earth. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I think that's, that's a key in learning to pray. And it's also a good benchmark of your life when you go, you know, at, at night or in the morning when you have your family prayers, you're doing the organ concert and you say, Lord, this, 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 and oh, just Lord, do this, and just Lord, do this, and just Lord, do this, and you take your uh, credit card, you go to the Coke machine and expect all those the answer. Those are those are important things to do, or else James wouldn't say when people are sick we should pray for them. He didn't say don't ignore people's organ problems and just pray about their sin problem. No, it's it's both sin and disease we are to pray. But there there should be some reverence in our prayer. And if we learn anything by the, the first heading of this chapter where he says, if any among you is afflicted, let him pray. If anyone is merry, 
let him sing. God gives parameters in which we are to use our emotions. I, I'm thankful because that the wild man I was when I came to Christ, I had good brothers with control issues. It's, it's good that there are people that have control of their emotions to point you to the Scriptures, and the Scriptures control us because God recognizes our emotions. Because why? He gave them to us. He gave us our emotions. And He's given us benchmarks in Scripture, and especially the Psalms, to let us do things. Does that mean we can't weep? When we're praying? No, it means we, we weep, and we weep according to the Word of God. That's, that's what should be in our veins. When we go to the hospital and they give us the blood test to see what's going on there, the Bible should come out. The Word of God should come out. We should be seeing that. And your prayer life improves more and more as the Word of God takes over your DNA, so to speak. Anyway. So learn those things. So here's the next heading. When a brother or sister strays from the truth, convert them using the word in fervent prayer. As far as I know, just like elders don't know when you're sick and you're in Alaska on some military base, None of us elders know what's in your heart. And I would dare say none of the people in the congregation know what's in, their, in people's hearts. We don't know a person's heart. And James is telling us we are to strive with those who stray. If they are truly our brothers or sister, they will not perish. If they are unconverted, they may become converted. Prayer like Elijah is part of converting someone who is straying. So, so what do I mean by that? Fervent prayer for someone who has strayed. What, why would I say such a bold statement? Does that sound like legalism? What do you think? Is that legalistic to say that striving for prayer? When, when's the last time you looked at the prayer sheet and saw the names of the people that were praying for their salvation? Did you look at that this week? You, you pray for, uh, we have people that talk about their family members that are going to hell, that need to be snatched from the fire. Do you, do you pray for those people? Uh, I fail in that. But we, we need to be concerned about people uh, going that way. <clears throat> Matthew eighteen twelve. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, 
Does he not leave the ninety and nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Remember, this is that time where the children were coming to Jesus and Jesus takes this opportunity to to teach about the kingdom of heaven, that it's not just adults that are in it, but young children. And as far as I know, in the Ancient of Days would look upon my age as being a child. And I, th- I think that's, that's important because this is part of that fervency in prayer, praying the will of my Father. It is God's will that none of His sheep will perish. The only thing is, we're supposed to be praying for those sheep because we don't know. We don't know who they are. So, here's what you really want to know about. (laughs) What about the anointing oil? So, I would like to say this. Some people will look at that passage and say, we should do this just as it says. And I, I think that's, that is a legitimate way to look at it. Scripture says elders are supposed to come, anoint the person with oil, and uh, pray for them. And then some would say the anointing with oil is symbolic of when the elders are bringing that bottle, they're basically symbolically bringing the Holy Spirit with them. But, but the point is, it's prayer, not oil. James uses the word alipho, which has the idea of rubbing or apply oil like we would on a cut using neosporin. And we have the case in Mark 6.13 and Luke 10.34 where we give the account of the Good Samaritan anointing, alepho, oil on the man injured by robbers. Some people I know pray for the medications. We, we do that here. We, we pray that, you know, whatever was going on with me two years ago for COVID, we, we prayed that the nurses and doctors, at least I hope so, must have because I'm here, we, we prayed that those things would be effective. We, uh, I've always appreciated Josh when he prays when somebody's having a health problem that he, he's saying we pray, you know, and he goes in some medical thing and I'm like, yeah, but that's good. That's specific prayer, and he knows how to pray that way. So praying for medication and treatments to be affected can be included in that prayer. The, the Greek word cryo 
where we get the word Christ or Christus is the word used for ceremonial anointing. And James could have used that, but he doesn't. Didn't. So I think this is, in my opinion, and people smarter than me also, that this anointing oil was the best medication they had at the time. You ever know anybody that they were just um, producing more iron than their body could get rid of, and as a result, their body just started flaking off and flaking off? I mean, someone that's sitting in a sickbed for a long time and they've got inflammation, uh, it would be nice to be able to, to anoint somebody with oil and help them with their, their dry skin. Uh, there are places that I travel to and it's very dry. It's, it's good to have moisture. So I, I think that this is, James is talking about medication. So can I call for the elders to pray over me if I can get out of bed and come to the church? How many people say yes? See your hands. Oh, there's only three people that says yes. Of course. If you need us, if you if you need prayer, elders will pray for you. You don't have to be dying in a, a sick bed or at home. We'll we'll pray for you. So what is the prayer of faith? I believe it's prayer that rests upon the promises of God, not some magical formula. We've we looked at James 1, 5 through 7. If any of you lacks wisdom, wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So one prayer of faith is to ask God for wisdom in prayer. James 4, 2, 3. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. You see, here's those benchmarks the Word of God is given to us to give us parameters to and i think it makes us think about how we're praying and i think that's a good thing and then there's this presumption come come now you who say tomorrow today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or doubt that. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him is sin. So in your prayers, you need not be arrogant or expectant. Well, Here's just a, a few thoughts. The first one we were exposed to, consider it all joy when trials and suffering come into your life. Become a doer of the word. 
Realize the anger of man comes from selfishness. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Pray when you are afflicted and sing psalms when you are happy. Do you know brothers and sisters who are straying or on the verge of straying who may be confused, discouraged, empty, deceived, seduced, abandoned, or weary? You, you know people like that? I think God is calling us to extend our hand to them to win them back. Well, I hope you enjoyed James. I learned something new every week. Somehow I didn't make the connection until Parks was talking about how the, the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, connects a lot with James. And now it gives me more things to talk about. There are many other things. But let's, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that your royal law um, constrains our out-of-control and sinful emotions. We pray that you would help us. Father, we, we pray that um, we would learn to trust your word and trust Jesus more. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.